Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day, this chance to be here in worship, to worship you. And Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and minds and lives what you have for us this day. Lord, help us to be open to your Holy Spirit. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're, this is the last week of kind of our little series here on the parables. We've taken four weeks to look at different parables, starting with the parable of the talents or the bag of gold and bags of gold and how we use the gifts that God has given us. And we looked at the parable of the sower and thought about our seed and the soil and cultivating the good soil in our life, cultivating our faith. Last week, we looked perhaps at one of my favorites, the prodigal son, as a great reminder of God's posture towards us, of God's love and grace for each one of us. We finish up this week with a parable, and then we'll do something a little different the next three weeks, and then we'll start our journey through Galatians. This parable this week, the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, it's a short parable. It's pretty straightforward and direct. I actually find this to be a very difficult parable. Of all the parables that I'm sharing in this four weeks, in many ways, as I think about this, I find this to be one of the most uh, challenging parables in all of Scripture. Really, I'm going to focus on the two characters, the two main characters in this parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector. But I want to start by kind of setting the scene in verse 9 here, and you're certainly always welcome to follow along on your insert if you'd like. But there's some, this kind of sets the tone for what happens. Remember, these parables are stories that Jesus is telling for a purpose. And he's telling these stories to a crowd of people. The crowd is probably made up of lots of different type of folks. People who like Jesus, people who don't like Jesus. His disciples, perhaps some political power players, the religious people, the common folks. It's likely a mixed crowd of men and women and children. And it starts by saying, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, that this story has a specific target audience, those who are confident in their own goodness, their own righteousness. What this means is he is talking to those people who are very sure of themselves, that their trust is not in God. You've heard me talk about trust being essential, that it's the essence of faith, and we'll talk more about that in Galatians. Their trust is in their own righteousness and their own goodness. For in their minds, they have it together. They have everything they need, and they are good, honest people, and they are confident in who they are. And so this story is targeted, perhaps, to them more than others. These folks who perhaps rely on themselves maybe a little more than God, who maybe have a view of themselves that might be a little too high. And so we have the characters. First, the Pharisee. You hear the Pharisees talked about in the scriptures a lot, and, and I don't always know that we understand what the Pharisees are like. I, I have some ideas of who they were and what they were like, but they were very religious. They were very religious. They were very observant. They were legalistic. They were controlling. They really had a lot of power, particularly amongst the temple and in the church. They had political power. They were people who were likely wealthy um, men. These Pharisees uh, really had a kind of a judgmental spirit. They were the moral police of the day. 
They had a very rigid view of Scripture and of God and of faith. And while they were very obedient, which is a good thing, they had a very high sense of themselves, a very high sense of their own righteousness, a very high sense of their own goodness. They were very, very sure of themselves and how good they were. And, you know, really, if you were listening uh, last week, if you were here, the story of the older brother and the younger brother, that the Pharisees were really a lot like the older brother. Very, very religious, very rigid. They didn't like to be challenged, or they liked to be challenged, with scripture and with what Jesus had to say, as long as it lined up with what they thought and what they believed. But if it made them uncomfortable or challenged their lifestyle or their power or their view, they weren't very happy about that. Those were the Pharisees. And then, of course, you have the tax collector. One of the worst of all sinners. Some things never change, right? <laughs> But tax collectors in this day were very different than the modern-day IRS that we know. You see, the tax collectors, their job was to go from place to place, to go to people's homes, to go to the villages, and to collect money for the government. But it was never that simple. It was never exactly fair and equitable, and they often took much more than was ever needed. Much more than was needed for the government or that they were required to take, more than was needed for their own survival. They basically were thieves. They took their power and they abused their power to take more money from the people than was necessary for their own interest, for their own well-being, to benefit their own lives. And so these tax collectors really took advantage of folks and would do whatever it would take. They weren't necessarily gracious in their tax collecting. But you see, the tax collector in this story, his confidence is really not in himself, unlike the Pharisee. His confidence is in God. Even though this is one of the worst of all sinners, a, a crook, somebody who abused power and abused the people, he had a really good sense of self, perhaps too good of a sense of self, that bordered on self-hatred that this tax collector, as he came, the Pharisee, when the Pharisee stood, he stood nice and proud and confident in his goodness. But you see, the tax collector, his posture was entirely different, it says in the scripture, that he stood at a distance and that he wouldn't even look up. For the tax collector, his sin was such an issue that it was an, even a physical experience, that he felt the need to harm himself physically because of his sin. The scripture says he beat his chest, this tax collector. The tax collector felt unworthy. The tax collector felt that perhaps they didn't need, they didn't deserve to be there. They didn't deserve to pray. They didn't deserve God. And the tax collector, there's also kind of an innocence. The innocence of a child. This tax collector comes with a particular posture. One of embarrassment, one of shame, one of humility. In the midst of 
their terrible sin. If we look at last week's story of the prodigal son, the tax collector perhaps is much like the younger brother. And so we have these two characters, and you know it's very interesting because it goes on in verse 14 and gives us the moral of the story. And the moral of the story is it's the second, it's the tax collector, it's this awful sinner. It's this agent of the government, not this agent of the, of the church that's justified, that finds justification before God. I find this to be a really difficult story. It's obvious, it's direct, it's pretty simplistic. But as I think about the implications for us, it's really difficult. But perhaps the greatest news of this story and the most important point of this story is that what God cares about the most is our heart. Yes, our actions matter. Our words matter. Our relationship matters. God values our obedience. But the moral of this story is that the thing that God values the most is the posture of our heart. It's the heart that God looks at. It's the heart that God examines. You see, we can change our actions for certain groups of people or for certain situations, I know, I see, and even do this from time to time. But to really change our actions, to really change the things in our lives that perhaps are not as God would want them to be, to address the sin in our own lives requires a change of heart. That if I think about my biggest sin challenges or biggest sin issues, if we think about those things. They're not actually matters of behavior. They're matters of the heart. And so these empty actions, I'll be them good of the Pharisee with an impure heart. God is more interested in the pure heart, in the humble heart, in the sincere and authentic heart. That that is the great news of this story. But hard change can be hard. And the tax collector gets it. He has the right posture. If I think about these two characters, perhaps the most challenging part of this story for me is the realization that I, that we, that the church, are often a lot more like the Pharisee than the tax collector. If I'm to look at the modern church in the United States, I would have to be honest with myself and say, more more the posture of the Pharisee than the tax collector. And that's why this story is so hard for me, as one who tries to follow Christ, as one who tries to be a leader in the church. And that may be the, one of the greatest challenges the church, in this country at least, is facing today. This heart posture of our own righteousness. This posture of the Pharisee. And we all have a little bit of the Pharisee in us. We all have a little bit of that kind of sense of, of being better, of being higher up. Maybe it's to people who are not Christians. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, this judgmental attitude comes towards people of other faith or 
people of a particular political party or people of a particular sin that we find difficult to deal with or a lifestyle that we are uncomfortable with or fear or hate. That the heart of the Pharisee comes out in each of us in those different moments, in those different ways. There is no question that in our world there is a great need for God, perhaps greater than there has been in a long time. We, all of us, the world around us, is filled with brokenness and need. Sin and pain and isolation, unhealthy relationships, there's so much need. But here's the thing about those who are broken. Here's the thing about tax collectors, and I loved what Kristen did in the children's time because it, it points to this, that the tax collectors really don't feel so comfortable being around the Pharisees. And so we have this challenge, I think, in the church that we have a world that is broken and people that are in great need and we have the answer, the only real sustaining answer here in the church, which is Jesus Christ. And yet, so many who are broken because of our own feelings or perhaps appearance of the Pharisee of righteousness, it's not a safe place. And so those who are broken, those who are lost, those who need God, whether it's whether they know it's God they need or not, are going to places other than the church to find healing. And it's not working for the church or for them. And I started to wonder as I was wrestling with this, what would really happen? What would the church of Jesus Christ in this country look like if we could take on the heart posture of the tax collector? You know, I actually suspect our churches would be pretty full. That we probably wouldn't be able to even handle the influx of people in need who want to seek Jesus with us. That might actually be what happens. And instead of fighting the world, we would be leading the world. You see, I think Jesus is getting it more than just our heart posture. I think he's getting at the church, too. I think it's a challenge to me, it's a challenge to us to think about how it is that we operate. You know, so often in the church, I see this and I have emulated this and lived this, that we kind of come to church, you know, all good and ready to go, and we come and we sit down and we, you know, we, we want to make sure that we have it together because we're in church, right? And we look around and everyone else has it together and it seems like everybody else has it more together than we do. And so we kind of look around and we're like, oh man. You know, in my last church, I always used to giggle that, uh, you know, I could tell which families were still finishing their early morning argument in the car by where they parked in the parking lot. <laughs> that those that parked further out were perhaps finishing their argument. And those who parked closer had kind of 
gotten it out of the way. And so parents would come and they would sit with their kids who they felt were misbehaving terribly until they saw mine. And, and, they, and they, would, you know, they would look at that other family and they go, oh, that family has it together. Those kids have it together. Look at how perfect they are. And so we come to church pretending to have it together. And that's not the posture of the tax collector. That the church is a hospital. That we should be able to come to the church with our brokenness, with our sin, with our pain. We should be able to come as who we are in a genuine and authentic way. You know, it's interesting. I, I hear a lot of you know, feedback here and there, and I pay attention to that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, because I, I like to reflect on those comments. I, I'm just a reflective, introspective type person. And, you know, one of the things that's been said to me a couple times over my career, and certainly here, is, wow, you seem so normal, which then I know the person is strange. <laughs> then I know, Houston, we have a problem. Or, you know, oh, well, it's, you seem so easy to talk to, and like a normal person, and you know, genuine and this and that. And, and I appreciate the feedback and I appreciate those comments. But, you know, I don't personally know any other way. I'm not even sure my generation of pastors and leaders knows any different. But I'll, I'll tell you this. I actually think that's the way that the whole church should be. That authenticity is what the tax collector got right that the tax collector was genuinely himself. And if we can't be genuinely ourselves before God and in the church, then where can we do that? Where? See, our culture forces us to constantly pretend. Constantly pretend. And see, we get this story that at face value is just about somebody who's got too big of an ego and somebody who hates themselves. But there's so much more here. God cares deeply about our heart posture. God wants the church to have the posture of the tax collector, to be a place of authenticity, to be a place of genuineness, to be a safe place where we and where others in the world can come and seek Christ together. And so I have to ask myself that hard question that I don't quite frankly like that much. That's the worst thing about preparing a sermon is preaching it to yourself. Where is my heart posture like that of the Pharisee? Where is it that my heart needs to change? What can I do and be to perhaps change this model of the church that not only is not being effective in reaching those in need, but might not look exactly like what Christ intended? You see, the whole point of the story is our heart that God cares deeply about our heart, and that above our actions and our words and our obedience, it's our heart that matters. What's the posture of your heart? Where is it that you need the God of the universe to perhaps change your heart to a genuine, authentic self-understanding, a recognition of God's love for you, and perhaps of our own, your own imperfection as somebody created in the image of God. And so I think this parable is a, calls us to a tough thing. It's a challenge to me to think about and to really pray about and to really ask myself those tough questions.
Where is your heart? And where do you need Jesus to perhaps change the posture so that you and the church and the world can be a different place? Let us pray. God, we thank you for these words, for this story as difficult as it is. Lord, for the challenges of following you in this culture and today, for the challenges that the church, that your church faces. Lord, help us to have a heart posture and sense of self more like the tax collector than the Pharisee. And God, help us to be the people and to be the church that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Please.